a Podcast One production. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. Today we're going to tackle the issue of the top five security issues that the world is facing in this year. Uh, Keith, if you don't know, is renowned expert in foreign policy on international relations. He knows everything about every conflict that goes on in the world. He knows the history of it. He's been utilised by every major media outlet in Australia to talk about these sorts of issues for decades. So the man, you need to listen to the man, and he breaks it down and makes it very easy to understand. So, Keith, what has prompted this one this week? Yeah, so this is from the uh, Soufain Centre, S-O-U-F-A-N Centre. You can look it up on the internet. They issue a free daily intelligence briefing, which I get. I find it very useful to keep abreast of what's going on. This is one that they issued a couple of weeks ago on five geopolitical trends to watch this year. In other words, what are some of the big issues? I'll I'll just list the five and I think we can then explore them. I think also we will need to explore them in greater depth in each of our programs as the year rolls on because they really are so significant. So, One is a whole issue of disinformation, fake information. Remember, we've got an important election coming up this year in the United States. Fake news. As in the legitimate fake news, not just the phrase that is spouted by Donald Trump. But there is clearly a lot of fake news, the use of bots uh, on the internet. So that's one challenge. A second one is rising rising anti-Semitism. In other words, uh, hostility towards Jews. And more broadly, the issue of white supremacy. So whenever people think about terrorism, they usually think about Islamic terrorism. But this is arguing, look, there's an even bigger issue, which is white supremacy. That's an, that's one that we've got to keep an eye on. And is this just in the States where we know it's well, prolific it or elsewhere. is it everywhere? Okay. Well, look at Australia's contribution. Yeah. Yep. Uh, although that, that, you know, that was aimed at being anti-Islamic, but it's still a shocking tragedy in, in New Zealand. And then we've got the movement of the international system from what is called a unipolar world to a multipolar world. Unipolar is a way of saying the United States runs the show. It's one pole. Everything revolves around that one pole. Now we're moving into a multipolar world, which means that you've got a number of different centres of power. A clear example, obviously, would be the rise of China. So that is another trend. You've also got the worldwide protest movements that we're seeing in a variety of contexts. And then finally, the whole issue of the importance of energy as uh, an important issue for governments to get their heads around. So I might just perhaps just start walking through those five issues. Absolutely. So just starting off with the the issue of of disinformation. So the Safane Centre is getting in early with a warning about the US presidential election, which, as you know, is now very much underway in terms of the Democrats trying to select a candidate that will come up against uh, President Trump. What is interesting is the rise of what are called deep fakes. So a deep fake is when they're able to create altered audio and visual content to present the audience with a narrative that seems real but in fact, they're actually manipulating the person's speech and mouth 
And they can do it so well. And I've can, seen yeah. incredible examples. I think Obama got involved exactly. with one by the that's, US, the great yep. example that they sent yeah. everyone saying, this is how you can be manipulated. Yep, that's exactly it. So these, these are, this is what's called deep fakes. Now, there are two American states that have passed laws banning political deep fakes, but Facebook has said that it will not remove political ads, even though they know them to be false. Facebook runs with its own agenda. So you can have state legislation, tough. Facebook has its own ideas. I know, and they're so controversial as well. And doing the wrong thing by people on many levels, Dr. Yeah. Keith. And just for people that don't know whether they're going to be, whether the information they're getting on social media is correct or not, if mainstream media is not running with it largely, then it's it's not accurate. <laughs> it's I, not a story. I, well, I'm not on social media at all because of my security interests. So I don't do it. I'm not on Facebook. I'm not on LinkedIn. It takes 93 minutes for the Australian expert, between 93 minutes between selecting a name at random on LinkedIn and emptying the victim's bank account. I've been through presentations where he's taken us through all the stages involved. So if you add up the entire period for the identity theft, it's 93 minutes. We ought to do a whole program on this, it's just so, what worries me is I warn my students at Boston University, be so careful about your identity. There's There's a guy called Frank Abnegale who wrote a book, Catch Me If You Can, which became a -hmm. a movie. He was a crook, brilliant at pretending to be airline pilots and bankers, et cetera. In the end, they got him, went to jail. He's now an advisor to FBI. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) Takes one to recognise others. So... Frank Abnegale, um has just been asked to do a uh, a, um, a handbook for the American Association of Retired People, warning them about social media and identity theft and people. Well, they not only steal your money, they can sell your house. What? They can sell your house. So uh, this is how sophisticated all of this stuff is becoming. And Abnegale in a recent statement, has said that by the looks of it, Older people are simply not victims often enough. They, make, they get more publicity because they've got more money to lose from these crooks. But it's the youngsters who are far too trusting of social media. It's the youngsters at a far greater ratio who end up as victims to all these scams because they're just too trusting and they're not smart enough. Whereas older people get the publicity because they lose the house or they lose a lot of money in their bank account. So uh, it affects them more. It affects them more, but proportionately fewer of them have get, get caught out in this. So one trend that we need to watch uh, for the years to come is now the whole question of fake information and uh, all sorts of uh, misuse of technology. The second issue that the Sufain Centre is warning about is the rise of particular types of wo- white supremacist terrorism groups. So in other words, that normally when we think of terrorism, particularly since 9-11, September 2001, the assumption is that if it's terrorism, it must be an Islamic outfit. But in fact, in the Sufain report, it shows that in fact, the groups that are really operating within the United States tend to be actually white supremacist groups in fact, we saw tragically only a few weeks ago, remember in New York, an individual went to a rabbi's house during Hanukkah, which is um, an event that takes place near the Christian Christmas, 
and killed people or injured five at a rabbi's house with a knife. So, And are instances of this on the rise globally? Yep. Yeah, so more generally. Um, and it's been interesting because FBI started to investigate white terrorism and the Republicans in Congress closed down the inquiry because their worry was that some of the people who might be revealed would be Republican voters. So the Republican Party blocked the work at the time of the Obama administration into white supremacists. But now the, the issue has become so widespread uh, with the militia groups, et cetera, which we've had for decades in the United States. It's now become so widespread the Republicans can't block it. And so we're now getting more and more investigation. These militia groups operate under the slogan, I love my country, but I'm scared of my government and so I've got to have a gun to defend myself. So you get events like Waco, Texas, et cetera. There are a number of these. This is not a new issue, but it's becoming more and more common. And what they're particularly doing, of course, is just going after Jewish communities, Jewish cemeteries, et cetera. Is there a reason for it, Keith? Has there been identified? I mean, I know obviously Trump being in power in the US could be a contributing factor. I think that Trump has allowed people whose views previously would have run counter to the dominant trend. Those views are now becoming much more open. Uh, Trump is, is not necessarily anti-Semitic. Indeed, he's got some major supporters within the Jewish community. Yeah, his son-in-law. Uh, I just say that Jews tend to be liberal and tend not to vote for Republicans. So he's never going to get the Jewish vote, but then no Republican president tends to do so, not recently anyway. But, he, you know, he, he's not necessarily anti-Semitic, but he has created the space whereby these extremist point of views can come to the surface. He, he, he encourages hate, yeah. hate speech. And, and it, it works very well because people are scared. And so this is why you get the hate, the, the all sorts of hate speech stuff underway. So that's the second trend. So the first one is the whole question of, of fake information, disinformation, etc. Second one is the rise of the white supremacy movement, particularly being manifested against the Jewish community in the United States. And then the third trend is that the United States, which has been the dominant power since the collapse of the Soviet Union in 1991. So the United States has been the dominant power, but now the United States is, is no longer such a dominant power. One of the reasons, of course, being the rise of China and also, of course, Russia, which has an economy just about the size of Australia's, I might say, Russia is, you know, is full of bravado, but when you actually look at the figures, so to speak, you know, the, the national accounts are not that good. But Putin likes to be able to strut the stage. And so he is now beginning to, to rival the United States. It's interesting that as we speak, he is now the major player in the Middle East, not the United States. The United States under President Trump is trying to pull out of these overseas commitments. So remember the Kurds in, in Syria were a major ally for the United States uh, in fighting the Islamic State. Trump has said the Islamic State is defeated. We're out of here. So those poor Kurds are now being badly treated and the Americans are not there to defend them. And so America is just trying to pull out of these international engagements. So a third trend, therefore, is that the United States is really just playing down its, its global role. It's still spending far more money than the next 18 countries combined in terms of military expenditure. 
but is obviously reluctant to get too heavily involved in world affairs. And China is now, of course, beginning to exert its role in the South China Sea. We've had confrontations now most recently with Indonesia and China in the South China Sea. We've had confrontations with Vietnam and the Philippines. The Philippines example is very interesting because the Philippines went to an international tribunal uh, in the Netherlands and that was under the previous president. The decision came down by the tribunal supporting the Philippines, saying that China cannot push this this claim that it's making to the South China Sea. But Trump wouldn't support standing up to China and President Duterte said, well, if we, if we can't beat China, we're just going to have to accept that they're the dominant power, not the Americans. Ah, well played Duterte. Yeah. And how'd that go down? Well, Duterte has, has decided that he will now remain on good terms with China. So he has disowned the initiative of his predecessor who took China to the International Tribunal. Needless to say, China didn't like that idea and has been found in the wrong, coincidentally. But Duterte says we're not going to push our luck on this one because America is not going to be behind us in standing up to China. So Trump says he's standing up to China, but he's not. Of course. So that's the third trend. So moving away from one dominant power in the world, the United States, to now a series of different players in the world. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. We're talking about the top five security threats to the world this year. First one being misinformation or fake news that is pummeled out online. It probably appears in everyone's Facebook feeds or Instagram feeds, or not Instagram so much, but you know what I mean. Like it's, it's there everywhere yeah. online if you're subjected to it. The second one being anti-Semitism, the rise of anti-Semitism and also white supremacy, which we see predominantly in America. We had that horrible shooting that happened in um, New Zealand yep. by an Australian last year. The third one being the rise of China, which, well, I mean, it's inevitable. It's been, I remember someone 20 years ago saying that China would be the world power by 2050, Keith. Yeah, 2049. They? That's the 100th anniversary of the Chinese Revolution. And so President Xi is aiming to be number one everywhere by that time. It's interesting, this Sufain report talks about technology where the United States remains the world leader, but China is quickly closing the gap, particularly in information technology and all the other new types of technology. Extraordinary. Yep. So now we're on to number four, which is worldwide protest movements. So we've had uh, revolutions or at least protest movements in Algeria, Bolivia, Chile, Colombia, Egypt, France, Hong Kong. Well, we all know about Hong Kong mm. and also the one in France, the yellow vest. You've had India, uh, Iraq, Lebanon, Russia, Sudan. And, of course, you know, you could say, well, we're here in Australia. We have the children going out on school strikes on a Friday complaining about climate change, as per Greta Thunberg, the uh, Scandinavian Schoolgirl. So is we is it putting down to this level of political activism? Is it disgruntlement um, with the way of the world now, Keith? Or is it is it entitled countries, you know, I guess, with first world problems? Or what are we talking about? Well, here? so we look at, so according to the Sufain Centre, it says there's a range of factors have contributed to these protests. So you've got corrupt and bad government. You've got changing demographics. Uh, this particularly applies with young people. 
rioting is a young person's activity. When you get to my age, you're no longer involved in demonstrations, but I would have been as a as an undergraduate. But you reach a certain age when you, you just don't feel like taking on the police. But in certain societies like Africa and the Middle East, you've still got very large population of young people. That's the key factor, the young people. And we're seeing that also in Hong Kong. There seems to be an awful lot of young people there, older people sometimes coming out on the demonstrations. But there's you need a certain amount of youthful energies. Now, in Europe, we've, we're all full of old people now. Australia is getting older as well. But it is interesting in other societies where, you, where you've where got a lot of young people. I've just come back from South Africa and the, the country is bursting with young people. So tremendous amount of energy, but they could also be mobilised for political protest purposes as well. You've also got uh, the whole problem of natural resource management and and things being badly handled there, poverty, marginalisation and inequality. So uh, if you like, there are protests around the world, but there are certain commonalities. Yeah. Plenty to keep them occupied. Absolutely. <laughs> and on to five. Last one. <laughs> Number five. Last thing that's going to threaten our existence. <laughs> Energy security. So this is um, the concern that we have enough fuel within a society. So we're seeing now that, for example, the Germans and the Russians are working together to produce a what's called the Nord Stream 2 pipeline running from Russia directly into Germany rather than running down through Ukraine, where Ukraine makes money because they charge rent, so to speak, on the pipeline running across its soil. This is the northern version of that pipeline. President Trump is opposed to that because they're saying you're becoming too reliant upon Russia. But it is a warning about the issues of security. So we are concerned about energy security in terms of oil coming out of the Middle East. Not so much for the United States now. The United States is becoming energy self-sufficient, although environmentalists would say, yeah, but it's becoming self-sufficient at great cost. Look what you're doing to the water table because of fracking. But the United States is no longer so reliant upon Middle East oil, but China certainly is still. And Japan, who happen to be our major trading partners, and we can't afford to have chaos in China and Japan because there's disruption to the oil, the the Iranians decided to, de- to start destroying tankers in the Gulf. So that's the issue um, there. So there are a number of places where countries, because I've also got to throw in here the improved technology. In other words, that we can now go to deeper depths to find natural gas and oil. So it's interesting if you look at the Mediterranean that the coastline, not the coastlines, but the exclusive economic zones of Libya, North Africa, and Turkey in Southern Europe. You're covering they tend your to come together. <laughs> Sorry? You're covering your mind. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I'm just trying to point out how they're coming together. And so what is happening is that Turkey and Libya are saying we want to claim that area. The problem is that you've got Greece, Cyprus, Israel, and Egypt who think they ought to be getting access to that, all the resources and the seabed there. So when you look around, there are a lot of places, potential crisis because people need that energy. We live in a very energy-intensive society. Now, my own view, and we were looking at this in Cape Town, is that we should be developing much more alternative energy, solar energy, etc. But just look at this building. Look at how energy-intensive this building is. So we live in a very energy-intensive world, which means that energy security is therefore a very significant issue. And then yet we still live in a country that's fairly reliant on coal. It's just extraordinary, <laughs> isn't it? Really? <laughs> well, we've got 600 years good uh, good supply of coal. We have good quality coal, 600 years. 
but if we sell all of it, it might damage the environment. Mm. Uh, so, Keith, in terms of these particular issues, is it just kind of a case of watch this space or just be aware of them? Be and- aware of them because we will look at them in more detail as the year rolls on. These are major issues. It's very different from what it might be called the high politics where you end up with two governments that are squabbling or individuals that squabble with each other. There are all these deeper, more substantial structural issues that we ought to monitor because, for example, in terms of energy security, if there's a disruption into the energy supply globally, that will affect China and that will flow on to Australia. So we might have 600 years good supply of coal, but if we lose our major trading partner, we are in strife. Perfect way to end. This has been Global Truths with Dr Keith Souter. It's recorded in the studios of Podcast One. Producer is me, Kate Mack. Production assistance by Matt Dwyer. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. And for more episodes, head to podcastoneaustralia.com.au or download the Podcast One Australia app.